Before we launch into Sunday's sermon, I just need to give you a little bit of a heads up. We had a power cut whilst the sermon was being recorded on Sunday. So a little portion was missed out and I'm going to re-record it here in my office. So don't be surprised if you see me in the office partway through the sermon. I'm going to ask you to cast your minds back to April 2020. Do you remember what it was like? That was our first lockdown. Suddenly, everything stopped, didn't it? No activity at all. School stopped, sport, driving, coffee dates, hobbies, absolutely everything stopped. And I think I speak for most of you when I say that it was a huge relief just to have an excuse to stop. I loved it. It was brilliant. That first day when we didn't even go out of the property, the second day, the third day, we didn't even go out of the property. We had our little routine. We'd spend some time together um, having coffee. And then as time went on, um, we started discussing certain things like uh, who was going to do the dishes. (laughs) I seem to remember that being a bit of a bone of contention, girls uh, nodding her head. but it was, it was interesting. But come back to the present now. What is your life like now? Do you feel like life is a constant struggle? Just frenetic activity and yet often no sense of completion or satisfaction from your activities. Does it seem like, and this is something that I often feel like, there's far more to do than I can actually get to. It just feels overwhelming. There are demands. Demands from children, demands from parents, demands from friends, demands from church. No rest, no peace. And it often feels like, I'm afraid to say, like a little bit like we're being driven at times. I used to have this work colleague. He was constantly on the run. He was a hugely productive person. And quite often I'd come into his office um, and his his head would be in his hand like that. His hair would be all messed up and his glasses would be sort of sitting wonkily on his nose. And he'd be saying, Ian, I really need a holiday. And maybe you can relate to that. Um, yeah, we, we often feel like that, don't we? I wish I had the same physique, but I, and sadly I don't. Um, and, you know, that, that sort of implies that the problem was a physical tiredness or maybe emotional or even mental tiredness. I think that's something else that we struggle from. But was it really? Because in fact, he would go on holiday and then about two weeks after returning, and I think we can all identify with this, he'd be back to exactly the same mantra again. Ian, (laughs) I really need a holiday. Um, And the funny thing is that a newly retired person, for example, or an unemployed person can experience exactly the same kind of lack of rest. Their days are free, they have lots of time to sleep, but they still lack rest. I wonder, folks, how long after that COVID lockdown until we were back just running on that hamster wheel. And so maybe the problem isn't really external. Maybe the busyness isn't the real problem. Maybe the busyness is a symptom of the real problem that sits deeper down, further behind. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about God's rest. 
how it fits into the flow of Hebrews. We'll start off by doing that. It's always so good to see the flow of the argument. Then the importance of rest, the key to entering into God's rest, what, when, and where it is. I mean, this is something that's confused me often in the past. And then how do we keep it? How do we remain in God's rest? Is there a sense in which we enter it and we're there? Or do we have to remain in God's rest? So let's have a look, first of all, at how it fits into Hebrews. At the very start of chapter 1, we were told that God, uh, Jesus is God's ultimate word to us. That was in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, right at the start of the letter. And based on that, having developed that theme and told us how reliable Jesus is as God's ultimate word to us because of his status and his person and his work, we got to chapter 2, verse 1, where it said, therefore, we must listen. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Otherwise, we're going to drift away from it. In other words, we need to listen to Jesus, and we need to do it continually because there's this very real risk of drifting. And then the writer moves on from the idea of listening to the idea of looking. What does the writer want us to see? He wants us to see two things. First of all, he wants us to see Jesus crowned because of his death, and then he wants us to see Jesus incarnated as a man. The reason why he wants us to see the first thing, Jesus crowned as a result of his death, is because it reminds us that one day we will rule the universe, the new heavens and the new earth underneath Christ. We will sit down on the throne with Christ. And that gives a very interesting perspective on the things that are happening in our daily lives. The other thing that he wants us to see is the fact that Jesus is incarnated or was incarnated as a man. He wants us to see that because it reminds us that Jesus has been through the same sort of sufferings and temptations that we have and he is able to help us. So when we look at the world around us we see chaos and disorder. When we look at our own lives we see chaos and disorder. The writer wants us to see Jesus in that picture because when we see Jesus in the picture, it reminds us that we can have a completely different perspective on what we're going through. So we listen, we look, but he also wants us to consider. And we consider two things. We consider his help as an apostle and high priest. And we consider his example of faithfulness and obedience to God. Jesus was God's apostle to us in the sense that he was an ambassador or a messenger from God to us. In fact, he was God's ultimate word to us. And so we consider the fact that he is God's word to us. We consider the fact that when we're going through trouble and trials and temptation, that Jesus brings us a word of encouragement. He brings us a word of encouragement or a word of knowledge. He's also our high priest, which means that he represents us to God before the throne of grace. And we have a representative who knows what it's like to be a human. We also consider his example of faithfulness and obedience to God. 
Why do we consider these things? We consider it because it helps us to hold fast to our confidence in Jesus. Since Jesus set that incredible example of faithfulness to God, we too, by considering it, can hold fast to our confidence in Jesus. So we listen, we look, we consider. And now the next thing that the writer wants us to do is to enter, to enter into God's rest. Let's read. If you could turn um, um, if, in your Bibles to chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them. Isn't that sad? Because they were not, not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Isn't that lovely? We can enter that rest if we believe. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's got a really good ring to it, doesn't it? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall uh, by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So let's have a look now at the importance we began to see the importance of God's rest last week in chapter 3, verses 7 to 19 that Trevor preached on. And the writer was quoting from Psalm 95 there, which is an account of what happened to the people of Israel when they were in the desert. Um, and they were about to be led into the promised land, but because of a lack of faith and disobedience and rebellion, they didn't enter the promised land, which was a picture of God's rest. The Israelites had heard hadn't they? They'd heard the voice of God through Moses. They had seen the works of God. But they hardened their hearts and they rebelled against God and they were disobedient to him. And that's what Trevor was talking about last week. What was the consequence of that? Despite hearing, despite seeing, they did not enter God's rest. 
and by implication they didn't hold fast, which is what the writer was telling us to do, to their confidence in God. Why was that such a serious thing, folks? Have you ever wondered? Why is it so important to enter God's rest? Well, folks, if we fail to enter God's rest, it means, number one, that we have fallen away from the living God. That's what it says in chapter 3, verse 12. We have fallen away from the living God. That sounds like a very serious thing. And the second thing, which we see in chapter 3, verse 11, is that we, we're going to end up in the wilderness experiencing the wrath of God, experiencing God as an opponent rather than as a loving father. These are serious implications. In fact, failing to reach God's rest is so important that the writer gives two commands. I call them, therefore, let us commands. Can you see them? The first one in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This is showing reverence to the fact that entering God's rest is an amazing thing. And we don't want to lose out on that. We don't want to not enter his rest. We need to have a mighty respect for the dangers of not entering his, respect, his rest. Because if we don't, then we find God as an opponent rather than as a loving father. We find ourselves under his wrath. And then the second, therefore, let us command is, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Bit of a paradox there, isn't there? We're entering rest, but we're called upon to strive to do it. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So that's the first thing that I wanted to establish this morning, that entering God's rest is hugely important. What about the key to entering it? Maybe the best way to think of this is to think about the barrier that the key opens. What is it that prevents us from entering God's rest? Well, we noted last week that the root of the rebellion was an evil, unbelieving heart. Isn't it interesting that an unbelieving heart is described as being an evil heart? That was chapter 3, verse 12. And then... He came to a conclusion at the end of the passage that Trevor attended to in 319. The Israelites were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the barrier to entering God's rest is unbelief. If that's the case, then the key to opening the barrier is the opposite, isn't it? It's belief. It's trust. It's confidence in God. So let's look at the start of today's passage for confirmation of that. And just as it's up there, just, just read through it as I point things out. Entering God's rest is a promise. And folks, you can only receive a promise from somebody if you trust them. So I could say to Clem, Clem, I'm going to pay you for X, Y, and Z. I'll do it tomorrow. Please would you meet me at such and such a place. If he doesn't trust me, then he's not going to receive that payment from me because he's not going to pitch up at such and such a place to receive it. It's like being given a... Remember in the old days when you were given a check? You only got the money if you actually took the check, put your faith and your trust in it, and went and cashed it. 
So entering God's rest is a promise and it requires belief. You're not going to enter because you heard. Look what it says there. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? There it says, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. It is those who have believed, verse 3 at the end, who enter God's rest. The Israelites heard the word of God. They saw God's works, but they did not enter because they didn't believe. They didn't trust God. Is listening unimportant? Of course it's important. Is looking unimportant? Of course it is. It is important. These are the very things that the writer has been urging us to do. And as we've said earlier, he urges us to consider Jesus, consider his example, because that will motivate us to hold fast our confidence in God. But just notice that word confidence. Confidence requires trust. So, listening, looking, and considering aren't enough because we must trust God. Belief is the key that unlocks the promises of God's rest. And entering God's rest is vitally important because if we don't, he becomes our opponent rather than our loving father. But now we ask the question, and we're moving on to the next section, what is it? What is God's rest? When do we experience it? Where is it found? So let's have a look at that. First of all, when? We need to establish that God's rest established exists for his people now, and it isn't tied to living in the promised land. Okay, And that's what the writer actually does for us today. And he establishes it in two different ways. First of all, David wrote Psalm 95 long after the rebellion of Israel in the desert. And yet he still wrote, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Why was that the case? Well, we read it in today's passage. For if Joshua had given them rest, he was the one who, who was to lead them into the promised land, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So this tells us that the promise still stands. It's still for us today. And then the second thing that he uses to establish this is that God rested from all his works on the seventh day. In other words, God is still in a state of rest. Interesting thing about Genesis, if you go back to look at it, at the creation account, you'll see that for the first six days there's a description of what was created on a particular day, and then they use the words, and there was evening and morning, and then the next day. So at, on each of those six days there was an end, there was an evening. But on the day that, Jesus, that God rested, they didn't use those words. The implication being that his rest was now open-ended. God continues to be in a state of rest. And so the conclusion that the writer comes to here is that every day of our lives, every one of us has a choice. Am I going to enter into God's rest today or not? Now, this means, obviously, that God's rest can be experienced today. But there's also places in Hebrews where, God's, uh, where the promised land is used as a symbol of heaven. And therefore, we can think of entering God's rest by 
the, by the concept of, well, not the concept, the reality of dying and going to heaven. So God's rest actually is something that we can experience now, but it's something that we will experience in its fullness later on when we go to heaven. So it's been inaugurated today, but it will be fully consummated in the future when we die and go to be with Jesus. So when, we, when, when do we experience God's rest? We experience it now, and we experience it not yet. It's almost as if now we're experiencing lots of different meals, and then one day we'll experience the full banquet. What is it? Let's think about that. It's a little bit difficult because all the author has to say in today's passage is that entering God's rest means to rest from your works in the same way as God rested from his works. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Does this mean then that God's rest is rest from physical work? We just stop working. Just look at verse 11. We looked at it earlier. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So there's an indication that entering that rest, maintaining that rest, does involve a certain amount of work. And then when you think of God, God is in a state of rest. He has been, because it's now the seventh day and, and going forward into it um, till the end of the age. He's at rest. But is he working? Absolutely. We're told that God is not only the creator, but he is the sustainer of all things. He sustains everything. He holds everything together through Jesus, through his powerful word. So it's not an absence of work. God is still working even though he is in a state of rest. If that's the case, what is it? I think we need to just revisit the busyness that we have in our lives. That's what I was talking about earlier. And just think for a moment about what it is that's driving us. What is it that makes you so busy from Monday to Friday, and probably even Saturday and Sunday? So many activities. Well, you might say to me, Ian, it's, it's because I need to provide for my family. But is that the true motivation deep down? Could it be that being loved and accepted and respected because you provide well for your family is actually the thing that is driving you. I could say, well, I'm very busy as a pastor, but I'm doing it to extend God's kingdom. That's what's driving me. But is that really my true motivation? Perhaps it's a deep need to be right with God or to be loved and respected by other people and ultimately to be loved and respected by God. You know, sometimes as we look around the world about us, we find honesty and insight in very interesting places. I'd like you to, to read this quote by Madonna. She said, my, life, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, and she really has, I still have to prove that I am somebody. 
My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. You see, every human being is dominated by that restless need to be somebody. Somebody worthy of love, worthy of respect, someone that people value. But I wonder why we feel that restless need. And I think if we're honest, like, like Madonna, we all are in that space. You know, the reason why is because we're not in right standing with God. That's often where it all starts. We need to be put into right standing with God. That's where God's rest starts. It starts by putting right, being put right with God. Entering the place where you can experience Him as your Father. A Father who knows you intimately. Who loves you perfectly. He values you. Quite irrespective of what you look like, or what you've done, or what you haven't done. That's what we want. That's the rest that we need. That's where this rest that God offers us begins. But where can we find it? Folks, we can only be put right with God. And I hope we get this. We can only be put right with God. The relationship can only be restored through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's only when we are clothed with Jesus' righteousness that we are able to enter the presence of the Father as sons and daughters that are loved and valued by him. And then when we're put right with God through faith in Jesus, then we can enter God's rest because we know him as a father who loves us and who values us. Then we no longer need to be like Madonna or everybody else because she's not unique at all. We're all very much like her. And this is what Jesus said. These are beautiful words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's where we find it. Take my yoke upon you. You know, yoke is something that you put on to do work. But the thing is that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And our partner in doing the work is Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's not going to dominate you. You will find rest for your souls. <laughs> when I just think of that word domination, so often the things that are driving us, they are merciless. They dominate us. They're not kind to us. If you're trying to use, for example, your career as a way to prove yourself, your career will end up dominating you. If you use relationships to prove that you are lovable, relationships will start to dominate you. People will start to dominate you. We need to come to Jesus. He's gentle. He's lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that's why entering God's rest is now. It is now. We can enter God's rest now. It's the rest from the need to work in order to be put right with God. Rather, it is being put right with God through faith in Jesus and the work that he's done. What are we going to rely on? Are we going to rely on our work or are we going to rely on Jesus's work? But notice that we do have work to do, as I mentioned earlier, this idea of the yoke. So how do we find rest? And I'm sure this is the thing that we all want to know. How do we find rest even though we are working? 
how do we keep it? And that's the last thing that we're going to have a look at today. The writer quoted David as saying, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What I want you to know is that just as the people of Israel were tested in the wilderness, so we are tested every day. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is a day of testing. Every day, we need to exercise faith to experience God's rest. Yes, there's going to be work done to be done today, but we can find rest in the midst of the work. Look at Jesus. He was an incredibly busy man, and yet he was never rushed. He was never harassed. Harassed. He always had his composure. He was never snapping at people. That's because he had a deep sense of rest. He was walking in God's rest every day of his life. Folks, rest comes when we align ourselves with God's order. You know, God has created things with a certain order, a certain way. So if you imagine, for example, that you belong to a very primitive tribe and you've never seen a motor car before, and suddenly this motor car appears in your midst, you would need to find out from the designer and the creator of that motor car what its purpose was. What is it, what is it for? How do I use it? You would need to find out from the, the designer or you would need to look in the manual. You know, if you thought that that car um, was, was meant to be a means of transport, but you didn't know that there was an engine to engage it, you could very well end up hitching a horse to it and doing a whole lot of extra work that you didn't need to do. I think, for example, if you were a nomadic person who traveled around, if you thought that this car was a, a place to live, it'd be a pretty uncomfortable place to live, wouldn't it? If you lived in the desert, it would be hot, unless you knew about turning on the, the motor and putting on the air conditioning. Um, you'd have to push it around because you wouldn't know about the engine, so you'd be pushing it from place to place. It wouldn't make a great home. Folks, we need to find out what God's intention for us is as human beings. We need to find out the order which he has established for us to walk in and to submit ourselves to. Folks, rather than striving to push the car... We need to strive to find out what the designer had in mind. We need to strive to study and understand the operating manual. Then you're going to be using the car as it was intended to be used. That striving, although it will be work, <laughs> it's going to save you a whole lot of effort. And this is why the writer says in verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then he starts talking about the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God that teaches us God's order. And who is the Word of God? Jesus is the Word of God, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. He became flesh amongst us. So as we study this account of his life and his example, how he did things, what he did do, what he didn't do, as we study his words, as we study the apostles' interpretation of his words, that helps us 
to enter God's rest on a daily basis because it helps us to align ourselves to his order. And the word of God, folks, is powerful. This is what he's getting across here. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This striving involves us in allowing God's word to have its powerful effect in us. Are you living in line with the manual? And then you can make tweaks and adjustments. What does God's word say about the decisions that you need to make tomorrow? What is God's word helping you to discern about the thoughts and intentions of your heart? Oh, we need to grapple with Jesus and find out what are the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. What are my motivations? Because if I'm working from the wrong motivation, maybe it might be from revenge, for example. I am going to burn out. I'm going to crash and burn. I'm going to be dominated by that. If, if my inner self is held in the, in the grip of fear, I need to get the word of God. I need Jesus' help to expose that so that I can address it. And then... Often, no matter what's going on around me, if I don't have that sense of fear, if I've got a sense of peace, then I can enjoy rest, even though I might be very busy. Remember that Jesus, Jesus is God's final word to you. His example and words, they're recorded in the Bible. In fact, the whole Bible is about him. Remember when he's walking with those disciples on the road to Emmaus? It says that he went through the whole of the Old Testament scriptures pointing out all the different places where those scriptures talked about him. The Bible's all about him. And the Holy Spirit actually brings the presence of Jesus to us whilst we're reading the Bible so that Jesus can speak to us through it. However, we come to an end here. Hearing, seeing, considering, that striving that I've been talking about It's going to be totally ineffective unless you believe. You know, if you're a young person and the Bible says, don't become one flesh with a woman until you've made a covenant with her. You're going to have to trust that that's God's best way for you. You're going to have to trust God. If the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked, find someone whom you have a common belief with. Namely Jesus, who who you can be united in Jesus with. And you don't seem to be finding, well, you know, you're only going to enter God's rest if you trust and believe that one day he will help you to find somebody like that. So we must believe. We must put our trust in God and we must obey. Because if we don't, we're not going to experience God's rest. Finally, let's just go back to what the writer said in the very first verse of today's passage. There it is. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Folks, when you look at a car and the amazing things that it can do for you, you also need to have a certain amount of respect for that vehicle. Because if you use it the way it's not intended to be used, you're going to get hurt. It's going to become a problem. It'll be a snag. 
And, you know, that's what he's trying to get across here, is that God has this heavenly ordained order. If we don't respect that order, it's going to be a problem. If we do, it's a tremendous blessing. And so I would say to you today, if you're exploring faith, you're wondering whether you could enter that rest, the, the starting point is to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, to believe that he was a human being who lived 2,000 years ago, who proved himself to be the Son of God by amazing miracles, who was an acceptable sacrifice for us because he was killed on the cross and then was raised from the dead. He couldn't have been raised from the dead unless he'd been an acceptable sacrifice because death would have still had a hold on him. If you can put your faith and your trust in him, then you will enter. It'll be the starting point. God's rest will be inaugurated in your life. And maybe you're in that place today where you have been seeking and searching and you're still not quite there yet. That's okay. It takes time to become convinced of these things. And this is life-changing stuff. You know, to commit ourselves to Jesus, to say that he will become in charge of my life, it's life-changing stuff. It takes some time to get there. Keep pressing on. Keep coming along. Keep listening. Keep reading. Keep talking. Keep exploring. And then, folks, if you are saved today, just be taking that effort. Taking that effort every day to enter into God's rest. Spend time in the Word. Spend time with Jesus. Find out what it is that's motivating you, because you can. And Find out what God is saying about your life, what is not in line with his scripture, what is. Exercise faith to obey and walk in his rest. Shall we pray? Father God, we, we want to walk in your rest. Oh, if Jesus is your ultimate word to us, we want that word to have an effect in our lives, to permeate and to saturate every area of our lives. So that even though we might be working hard, even though there might be a lot of chaos in the world around us, we can be in that place of rest, of knowing you as our Father who loves us, who values us, not as someone that we're fighting against not as someone who is opposed to us. And I would just say that um, if, if you would like to pray um, to, to enter into God's rest, um, in the sense that you want to inaugurate it, you haven't put your faith in Jesus before, you want to put your faith in Jesus, and just come up to, um, to the front afterwards as people are moving out. Um, Trevor and I and, and others would be more than happy to pray with you as you make that commitment.